Hi there, you're listening to High Performance, the UK's most popular podcast and platform among working professionals. It's our gift to you for free every single week. This podcast turns the lived experiences of the planet's highest performers into your life lessons. So today, allow the greatest leaders, thinkers, sports stars, entertainers and entrepreneurs to be your teacher. Today, this is what's in store. The bottom line, guys, is everybody's traumatized and everybody's running from that trauma. And often when we are running towards high performance in a really aggressive way, it's no different than being an alcoholic running in a really aggressive way. And I see this a lot with like entrepreneurs, like they're like so burnt out, even people in the personal growth space, like this was me for many years and a lot of my friends right now, so burnt out, so exhausted, so over, you know, overworked because they're just like overachieving because they're running from something impermissible. In my field, in the wellness space, there's a lot of stigma around psychiatric support. And I think that that is very dangerous because it, in my case, took four months of my early relationship with my child away from me. I had run my team for for decades in a very codependent way. It was all about how I could serve them and not about how they could serve me. And you have to show up for your team. You have to be there to support them. You know, if you're having a crisis, like show up. But I around that time made it very clear the energetic shift of I'm not going to hold your hand through your own crisis. I'm not going to give, you know, give you a, a every other day personal day. I'm not not even really that. It was more just like I'm not going to energetically be a first responder to your crises. You know, we talk all the time on high performance about suspending your opinion and coming with empathy i had a rather interesting end to last week where i put something up on twitter about the fact that a few people had told me that a podcast about mindset and discipline and non-negotiable behaviors was a bit too niche for people to get much from it and that i should maybe do a, a podcast about football straight football opinions and i shared that on twitter this week and people are so desperate to misunderstand what some people say and the point i was trying to make was people told me this was niche I love the fact that it clearly isn't niche and, you know, I showed a photo of the queue outside our show for the O2. Yet still people were determined to believe that what I was trying to say was that either I invented podcasts or that I did something amazing by creating high performance against all the odds when it isn't really against all the odds at all because I had a head start, I had great contacts and links, I had an opportunity to um, to ask some of my friends to come on the podcast, I had a platform already to share it from. But it was amazing to me just how angry people got when there was no intention for me to claim any credit for anything. And it is sad that there is so much misunderstanding and so much anger um, out there. And it's because everyone feels the need to have an opinion. And, you know, research shows us that getting angry about someone else or having a strong opinion about something is actually really bad for the person having the opinion. And, like, that wasn't great for me. That was a day where, and I hate these pylons that people seem to think are fantastic and they revel in them, um, but they don't do anything for the person at the bottom of the pile. And... As much as I hated that day, I feel really sorry for the people that wanted to ping me messages in their hundreds because they'll move on. Like, I'm no longer interesting to them because they're getting angry about something else. And it's just such a shame that people are walking around filled with anger and they're just throwing it out there at any possible target they can find. And it comes back to the heart of what we talk about on the High Performance Podcast. We need to live in a world where there is less opinion and more empathy. 
And actually, that is what today is all about. A really fascinating conversation with Gabby Bernstein. She's a lady who's been on a, a spiritual path for most of her life. Um, and the conversation that we have today really comes from the fact that she has been as low as you can get. And again, if you have an opinion about Gabby, you can say, well, why do I want to listen to a, a multi-time best-selling author? Well, the empathy should be that this person has been the lowest a person can be and has managed to find a way back. And there are surely lessons in that that you can learn from. Um, she's full of love. She's full of inspiration. She is a New York Times bestselling author of eight books, but she has a real mission to kind of crack open your spiritual relationship. And I know that many people come to high performance because they want to hear us talk to footballers or rugby players or business leaders about their non-negotiables. There is definitely also a space for a conversation like this with a person like Gabby. I really hope that it enlightens you and gives you something. And I think one of the key things with the High Performance Podcast is that we're not telling you this is what we think you need to think the same. We're just speaking to an incredible, diverse range of different people. And we're saying that you need to take what you want from these conversations. Take the learning that you think is there for you. And I really hope you do that today. So Gabby Bernstein on the High Performance Podcast comes next. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. We're really looking forward to this episode because we get a lot of messages from a lot of people saying, I'd love to understand what Gabby Bernstein makes of a high performance mindset. In fact, we had a message the other day saying, I'd love to just know what Gabby thinks a high performance mindset is. And I'm hoping we're about to find out because it's an absolute pleasure to welcome a New York Times bestseller, um, a motivational speaker. I'm sure you may have seen the videos online of, of Gabby and the amazing messages that she shares. She's written more books than you can shake a stick at. And her newest book is well worth reading. It's called Happy Days, The Guided Path from Trauma to Profound Freedom and Inner Peace. And I just feel if there's if there's two things that perhaps sum up high performance, freedom and inner peace are those things. It's a pleasure to welcome you, Gabby, to high performance. Thanks for joining us. Oh, it's so good to be with you. And I love that you have this random part of your audience that's asking for me. <laughs> well, you better deliver now. I better deliver now. <laughs> and for Ed, currently at the moment, we are also accompanied by Jimmy Blue, my kitten, who's probably going to get kicked out in 10 seconds. Once she starts purring, she's going to get kicked out. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll we'll deal with the cat when we need to. But first of all, let's deal with the opening question, which all of our guests answer on this podcast, Gabby, which is only to you. What does high performance represent? The answer is very different today than it would have been even five years ago, really. 
today, high performance to me means being directly connected to an internal landscape of courage, compassion, curiosity, calmness, and leading and living and performing in whatever way you perform from that energy. I think that's a really nice answer. And I can imagine lots of people listening to this thinking, sounds great. How do I get there? So would you mind sharing how you got there? Because as you said at the beginning, it would have been a very different answer a long time ago. Yeah. Well, in this book, Happy Days, I, I really share that journey of undoing the patterns from my past so that I can genuinely live with freedom and inner peace in this present moment. And I guarantee you guys, there's no way in hell that I would have put the guided path from trauma to profound freedom and inner peace with my face on the cover if I wasn't genuinely living that. And as a result of genuinely living that, I am living in my highest performance, my highest and best. What I have had to undergo to get there is really a peeling back of all the layers of the belief systems, blocks, and energetic disturbances that held me back from really claiming that peace and that compassion and that care and that kindness and calmness towards myself. The journey I underwent to get here is a brave journey of fearlessly going deep into the experiences from my childhood that created the reactive behaviors, the addictive behaviors and patterns and parts of me that were quite destructive and even beneficial at times, right? And writing nine books in 11 years, like some of these work with my workaholic part had a good purpose for a while, but she was so extreme. And now that she's no longer extreme, she has an even greater purpose because she can sit here with you guys and do six podcasts today, but really take care of herself and take care of her time and drink a lot of water and, you know, invite her kitten in when she wants to. So the, the undoing of those historical traumas, whether they be big T traumas or small T traumas, is what is absolutely necessary. And I know I'm talking to Brits and you just are going to be like, nope, don't want to go there. But um, And maybe you guys will, but <laughs> some Brits might not. Well, Gabby, can we go there Let's in terms there. of, for people listening to this, like when you talk about trauma, would you give us some examples of some of the traumas, the big T and the little T's that you did experience that can help people identify their own equivalents. Yeah, and it's interesting because the, well, to talk about trauma, big T or small T, which I'll explain in a moment, is the path to high performance. Because if you don't clean up the historical disturbances and belief systems and fears, then you're just going to be chasing something to avoid them, which means you'll never truly know what that freedom can be like hmm. and how to achieve through doing less and attracting more, how to achieve through having a lot more fun, how to achieve through a power way beyond the pretense of power that we can put out into the world. So big T trauma is sexual abuse, it's sexual violence, it's any kind of any form of violence, uh, living with an alcoholic parent, a uh, catastrophic event that occurred, repeated neglect, big things that occur in our life that really shake our nervous system. 
small T trauma, an example I've been using on a lot of these podcasts lately is just when I was in sixth grade, I had a crush on a boy and he told me I was stupid. And that traumatic event, while it seems so insignificant, like, oh, that just happened when I was in sixth grade, whatever, really dictated my entire education from that point forward. I was really more leaning towards the arts. I wasn't seeing myself as an academic. I just never really, it almost stopped me from writing my first book. And only now in my 40s, I just recently did a training in internal family systems therapy and got my CE credits. And I'm like, now I'm like, the, the student part is finally here. The part that wants to go and learn and just nerd out. And it took a lot of that for me to write this book, Happy Days. I put a lot of research into this book. But but that only is now that I'm starting to develop that part of myself because of this small T trauma from my past. So I'd love that's a great example for your listeners without having to go too far into the scary stuff. Although the more traumatized you are, you know, the more it may affect you somatically, the more it will affect you in your in every area. But the bottom line, guys, is everybody's traumatized and everybody's running from that trauma. And often when we are running towards high performance in a really aggressive way, it's no different than being an alcoholic running in a really aggressive way. Can I ask you then around that term trauma? Because the big T trauma stuff, the sexual abuse and some of that is horrific. And I don't certainly don't mean to demean that. The smaller trauma that you described about say being rejected uh, in sixth grade or being dismissed by an uncaring teacher I'd be interested to explore that Gabby because over the course of our podcast series a lot of our guests that we've had have spoken to us about incidents like that that have shaped them but I'm not sure that they would have framed it as as a trauma mm-hmm. they would have maybe said it was a bruising experience or mm-hmm. it was a learning opportunity mm-hmm. so can you just sort of Explain why we need to reference this as a trauma to help people move on and develop from it. The word trauma comes with a lot of shame. So I think a lot of my intention for speaking about it, putting on the cover of the book, being so forthcoming with my own PTSD recovery, is to just take away the stigma around trauma. So the reason that you're, the folks that you've interviewed wouldn't have called it a trauma is because you know, I don't have trauma. Trauma's, you know, yeah. something that's so, so, you know, that person that was abused or whatever it is. And then there's the other side of that with those of us who have had childhood abuse or things like that. There's the victim mentality, you know? And so when we can just see and accept that all humans have experienced a form of trauma in some way, it normalizes it and it gives it, it, gives it some freedom to start to be explored. So I think that to take those moments in your life that still haunt you, consciously or unconsciously, and to take them seriously and to bring them to a therapy practice or to bring them to a book like Happy Days is really valuable because they're running the show. When we have those small T traumas, we shut them down, we put them away, we say, no, thank you, not going to go there ever again. And then we build up what in IFS is called protectors. And these are all the parts of ourselves that we sometimes praise. Sometimes we know they're real bad, you know, like alcoholic or the cocaine addict in my case. But sometimes we praise them because they're such, they're so high achieving and they're, oh, they're, oh, they're workaholics, but they're like getting so much done and they're, 
podcast is doing so well and whatever the story may be, or they're so brilliant at their sport, but it's still a form of protecting against that impermissible feeling from that original wounded traumatic child part. Could be the girl that got told she was stupid by the guy she liked in sixth grade, or it could be the child that was sexually abused. Yes, they're going to have different imprints on the system, and some might be a lot harder to undo, but the protectors that we build up around it are all the same. And I see this a lot with like entrepreneurs, like they're like so burnt out, even people in the personal growth space, like this was me for many years and a lot of my friends right now, so burnt out, so exhausted, so over, you know, overworked because they're just like, overachieving because they're running from something impermissible. See, I found that really interesting because when I was reading your book that I thought was excellent, you know, I, like I can get the, the destructive addictions like the cocaine and like the alcohol abuse and things like that. But I think the bit that I found particularly moving was when you described being at your father-in-law's holiday home and you were working away on yet another book. And your father-in-law was asking you, like, why can't you just have a day off? And you wore it as a badge of honour. And I think a lot of people in our culture regard high performance as being this constant on the grind, the hustle, the never stopping, the relentlessness. What would you say to people that wear that as a badge of honour? Well, first say something to the girl that was in my father-in-law's house in her mid-30s who was writing her, you know, seventh book or whatever it was on a holiday which was every every holiday I would be off in the other room writing and feeling the shame of him saying that to me because it was a shameful thing because in the back of my mind I knew that I couldn't really settle. I always had to keep stay on, stay on, stay on, meet the deadline. And I can look back at her with so much, it almost made me cry when you were describing it, Damien, just because I was like, wow, like that was a really, that was a hard time. But I was, my initial, at the time, I defended that part of me because it was what I knew. And it was also important. It was protecting me from feeling deeper feelings that I wasn't safe enough to feel at that time. So I have a lot of compassion for that that part of me that's, that's thankfully in a better place. For people that are entrepreneurs or athletes or high achievers, I think, my guess, and I'd love to see if there's a study on this, that a lot of us, and I'm saying us, you know, listening, you and me, all of us here, the listeners, have some unresolved wounds that we may be running from. I know that all people do, and I think in particular, sometimes the high achievers have it even worse because we're trying to prove ourselves or we're trying to overcome some shame that we might have had from an experience from our childhood. And so it's, it'd be an interesting moment for somebody to say, oh, yeah, I am burnt out. I am overworking. I am, you know, unable to be still. And I was work- doing some work this morning with a friend on this, and he's a big high performer, and he just sort of admitted in the conversation that he's overwhelmed, and then underneath the overwhelm is insecurity. So just opening your mind to the possibility that there could be a inner child part that is is running in the background and that there's this workaholic over you know overachiever that's working in the foreground to just numb out that background part we know our audience uh, gabby pretty well and i think there will be people listening to this nodding along thinking yep i know the trauma 
and I know what it's doing to me, but I'm not sure how I go about solving this riddle and yeah. moving to a place where you are. I also think there will be a chunk of our audience going, I'm working hard, I'm non-stop, I could be at home a little bit more. My wife does keep telling me that I, you know, I, I do a lot and I do feel overwhelmed at times, but it definitely doesn't come from a place of trauma. It just comes from a place of wanting to achieve loads with my life and be a high achiever. So I'm really interested to those that can totally relate to what you're saying. I'd love to hear from you about what your advice is to them to move through. Mm. But first, I'd love to hear what you think about those people listening to this that totally relate to the worn out, burnt out, exhausted husk of a human being because they're giving it everything, but don't link that in any way to trauma. They link it to high performance because mm. the world tells them that's high achievement, that's mm. high performance. Well, first I want to talk to that person with a lot of compassion and let them know that I understand them because I was there and I lived that for many years and I'm very forthcoming about that in my all of my career and in, and in this book in particular. And I would invite them to go on that this journey with me or maybe not me, maybe another author, maybe a therapist, maybe a life coach to start to explore the feelings that live beneath that need to perform so high. Because high achieving, high performance, sometimes known as work addiction, is no different than drug addiction or alcoholism. It's just so praised in our culture. Yeah. It's such a socially acceptable disease that we just praise and emphasize. And, mm. and it's so funny when you turn the corner there, it becomes something that I now look out for instead of praising. Is that girl revving up? Is she tired? Does she need to get a good night's sleep? Does she need to have her husband wake up with the baby in the middle of the night because he's, you know, wanting to take off his diaper? Like, whatever, right? How am I going to care for myself right now? That's that's the turnaround. But those of you who are aware that you're running from something, I wrote this book for you. I literally wrote that book for, and for someone who isn't aware, but they just know that they're not steady, that they're suffering with anxiety, they're suffering with addictive patterns, they're suffering with overactive thoughts. This is for anyone that wants to address the root cause condition and be gifted with the methods that are very spiritual yet therapeutic in soothing your system, soothing your nervous system. For those folks that are like, no, I'm a high achiever, like I have nothing to run from, and they resist this, I guess all I would ask of them is just to get curious, just to look a little bit more closely with a lot of curiosity. What's there? Something else I need to listen to? But you can still work hard though, Gabby, can't you, when you've addressed this? Because I feel like if I go back in my life, there's definitely some traumas there. I feel like I've dealt with them, but I also feel I work really hard and I'm kind of comfy with both. Like, Is that okay? After having done the work on them, do you feel that your relationship to your success and your career is different than it was before working on the trauma. I definitely feel like what I look for now has to have a purpose. Hmm. Okay, cool. Rather than just, I'm a TV presenter here in the UK as well as doing this podcast. If I go back 10 years, it was just about just being on the TV. Mm -hmm. Now it's all about doing this podcast because for the first time in my whole career, I actually feel useful for other people. And this yeah. feels really purpose-driven. Yeah. And suddenly other things that used to light me up leave me cold. Beautiful. I love that. Well, I think that 
The answer is you can work super hard, but you have a greater sense of inner safety. So right now, for instance, I'm, you're asking me at the perfect time this question. I'm in launch mode. My book's coming out right now. I'm, you know, going from being so dormant and at home, you know, from from COVID, and now just blasting out, like ripping off the bandaid, getting on the plane, going on the TV shows, like. And the difference is, is that I now have this steady presence and connection to that part of me that's like an adult undamaged resource part of me that can look at that old addictive pattern and say, oh, is she confused? Like, does she think she needs to be here right now? Because like, she really doesn't. You can do this without her or you can do this with her, but she doesn't have to be extreme. So that high performer in me is so present right now. And to very much echo what you're saying, She's so present because she cares so fucking much about the people that could read this book. And she does not give a fuck about, you know, being on the New York Times list. Like she is showing up every single day to make sure that this book gets into the hands of somebody who needs this. I know for myself that I, I had to figure out this path on my own. And had I had an author like myself to hold my hand throughout that journey, it would have been really, really soothing for me. Mm. And I just have a lot, a lot of compassion for the suffering in the world right now. And so I think that's an, that's a really good example of how you know you've done some deep work on yourself is that you still work hard, but you're working for a different purpose. You are also most importantly caring for yourself with the utmost care and compassion. For me, it was like, cutting I you know canceled six days six hours of podcast the other day because I wasn't feeling well and just told my husband you got the nighttime for for the next two weeks and you know just really speaking up in the book you you have this great line where you say surrender your old story to become willing to embrace a new one respect what's in front of you and surrender to your vision statement now and stay willing and trust what unfolds next now, that really resonated with both Jake and I when we read it. So the question is, how do you find the trust in yourself to do that, to let go of those old narratives, those old beliefs that you held? It's a slow process, and it's not meant to happen overnight. You're not going to rip off the Band-Aid and be like, oh, I'm a new person. But that's why this is a path, a guided path. And I believe that we are ready to face into whatever we're safe enough to face into in that time. When I was 25, I was safe enough to face into my cocaine addiction and get sober. When I was 36, I was safe enough to face into a memory that had been dissociated for decades and accept that I had had experienced sexual abuse as a child. When I was, you know, years later, I was able to face into the diagnosis of postpartum depression and, deal, and show up for that. But all these experiences along the way were up-leveling. And we don't often look at the difficult moments in our life as the up-leveling moments. We typically are like, oh, I up-leveled when I you know, hit that point in my career, or when I made that thing happen. No, we up-level when we go through and come out the other side. Out of all those moments, and whether it was a cocaine addiction, the sexual abuse, where you felt comfortable to address it, or the postpartum depression, which one of those do you think gave you the greatest learning? All of the above. The postpartum depression was a real turning point for me, though. 
I write about this really openly in the book. Yep. I had spent decades with PTSD that I didn't even know about, right? And I drank over and used over. And then at 36 years old, remembered it. And remember, at that point, I was in my height of my overachiever <laughs> workaholism. I had written half a dozen books. I'd been on Oprah. I'd like, you know, just pushed, pushed, pushed real far. And then to your point, guys, like all the work was in the pursuit of others and in the pursuit of good. So it was super praised, you know? And then I cracked into that and that began my 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 real deep dive into the trauma. But there was so much resistance because it's so scary to face into particularly those childhood experiences of abuse. It's just horrifically, it's horrific and it's real tough to get in there. And so I was chipping away and chipping away with all the modalities I write in about in this book and they were all mandatory. And then by the grace of God, I was gifted with suicidal postpartum depression. And I say gifted with it because for months I just did not get a diagnosis and I kept, you know, trying to ashwagandha my way out of it. <laughs> And that was really a result of a lot of the space that we live in, in this wellness space of like, you know, don't go the Western route, you don't need medication, really stigmas around mental illness, stigmas around medication for mental illness, just st stigmas around being a mom and thinking, oh, I've got this. But I wasn't sleeping. I had insomnia, I had anxiety attacks, I became agoraphobic, and I said I wanted to kill myself on Mother's Day. And nothing made me hit my knees until, until... This is the workaholic that was there. I mean, this was night after night, months and months and months of tra traumatic depression and anxiety and insomnia. And I finally hit my knees when I had a talk in New York City. I didn't sleep the entire night before because I was suffering with insomnia. And I emailed the host and I said, I'm not going to be there. And that was the first time in my 20-year my career of being a speaker that I didn't show up. So you can see that that being my bottom says a lot about my history, right? Mm, yep. And then I, you know, my therapist that day intervened and she said, you need to see a psychiatrist. And that was such a huge moment for me because there's, in my field, in the wellness space, there's a lot of stigma around psychiatric support. And I think that that is very dangerous because it, in my case, took four months of my early relationship with my child away from me. What was the stigma associated with? Uh, that you can fix it with meditation or that you can fix it with um, ashwagandha or melatonin. None of that worked. Right. I tried it all. You know, the acupuncture, this. And when you're having a biochemical condition, there is a time and a place for psychiatric medication. And for me, that was the moment. And I was just so uh, ashamed of that diagnosis and the idea that I'm a self-help book author and I teach meditation. Like, why would I take a, med a medication, which ultimately be became the, one of the most greatest support systems in my life to help me do the deeper inner work? My psychiatrist that day said to me, she diagnosed me on the spot and she gave me a prescription for an antidepressant. And she said, I want to tell you this. She's like, I know you're resisting this majorly, but I want to tell you this. You've done a lot of work on yourself. You've done a lot of therapy. You've done tremendous spiritual work. You've written all these books. But this medication is going to give you a safer baseline to be f free and safe enough in your system to do the deeper trauma healing. 
And so I believe that there's God in the medicine. I believe that there's God in the doctors. There's God in the ashwagandha. There's God in this podcast. It's whatever you're guided to. And sometimes we're guided to, to things that we would never have expected to be on our path, but they show up to be an up-leveling. There, I've been speaking very, very publicly and obviously in this book about this experience because I think so many people with biochemical conditions go undiagnosed. I know that 43 million people in America are suffering with mental illness right now and half of which are not getting treatment. I read a book a couple of years ago around like toxic happiness, this idea of believing that positive thinking cures all our ailments and you're almost part of that that movement that people might lump you in with that kind of thing. And I think it's important that sometimes we acknowledge that sometimes trauma does need to be put in a different place, that we can't think our way out of some of this stuff. What's your view on that, Gabby? Yeah, I, I think that in all of my books, while they may have this title of the universe has your back or super attractor, underneath all of them is personal growth work to get to the root cause condition. Because I've always believed, and now more than ever with this new book, that underneath our physical pain or our suffering in life or our lack isn't just a thought form, it's a belief system. And so beliefs are really thoughts that we keep thinking. And in some ways, we can rethink a thought and the belief will change. And that's very possible. And I've written about it for decades, right? You know, if you keep focusing on that nothing's working out for me, then nothing's going to fucking work out for you, right? But if you start to stay open to creative possibilities and pray for support, and you know, then things change. But when it comes to deeper rooted wounds, like if someone's constantly in debt, they can't just think I'm rich, I'm rich, I'm rich. They have to look at the traumatic wounds that live beneath the belief that they're in debt. And so it's funny, I write about that in this book, that while this may not at face value seem like my other books on manifesting and spirituality, it's actually my most spiritual book of all. Because when you actually begin to have the bravery to go to the places that scare you and do some work on it, you really become a super attractor. You really get connected to the spiritual realm. You really have heightened your intuition and opened up your energy field to receive so much more Talk about high performance, man. If you take that time to go into your own subconscious and with the support of a therapist or with support of the book like this, do some deeper healing. You come out of that and you just, you know, just slightly tune up the notch and it's like the highest performance you could possibly imagine. We're all functioning at a fraction of what we're capable of because of all the fear-based belief systems that we stay stuck in. And it's folks like, you know, Gandhi or Lema Gabawi and these beautiful humans that transcended those beliefs that were able to make the biggest impact. But it's not just by thinking it. It's about reprocessing it in your whole system. This I'm really interested in, Gabby, because I think that um, we're different over here from you in the States. From I'm a lot so of people familiar in with you and I love coming to the UK because you really give me a run for my money. <laughs> good, good. We challenge, which I think is important. But I think that one of the issues we have over here, right, is that all the things you're talking about, going back into your past, attributing the struggles in your life to trauma, looking at the areas where you're failing and struggling and work, trying to work through why that's happening, not just accepting that it's happening. Lots of people over here see that as doing something negative 
I don't want to look at my past. I don't want to look at my trauma. I don't oh, want yeah. to even can. I don't want to consider that the reason why I'm unhappy is anything other than the world is being horrible to me. This can't possibly be within me. So I'd really love to go a bit deeper into this, opening yourself up, and suddenly amazing things happen. Can you can you explain to us what our listeners should start doing and the amazing power that it can have when you actually do delve into yourself in that way? Yeah. I think it's part of the reason why the promise of so many of my books was really upbeat. It, the super attractor, manifest a life beyond your wildest dreams. The universe has your back. Even the title alone is like, oh, that feels good. And for those books, you know, they did, they've done great in the UK. Okay? So people want to know how to manifest and they want to know how to like, you know, get things. Mm. But my hope and prayer is that when they open that book, they are challenged to do some deeper work. Now, this book may be a turnoff to those folks that's like, hell no, I don't have trauma. I don't want to do that. I don't want to touch that. We don't do that here. So my my prayer, though, is that, and I, my, I'm not even a prayer. I've witnessed this, that living through a pandemic, a global pandemic, has cracked open a lot of people who never otherwise would have gotten here. When I say here, to the place of being willing and brave enough to look at themselves. Even in my personal friendships, just countless souls that I've met along the way that are like, well, now is the moment that I had to kind of go there and had to sort of start to face these things. Because when we are told to go home and we don't know when we're going to get out of home and we have a lot of fear and that there's so much terror on the news, all of those impermissible fears and locked up emotions from the past start to get activated. And a lot of the ways that we used to protect ourselves by like, you know, being seen everywhere, you know, going to the whatever, taken away. So I think we're in a different time, British, American, whatever. I think we are in a different time where more people are cracking open to the desire to heal. And my prayer for the UK is that you could all just give yourself permission in your closet with a little book light no don't let anybody see you reading it <laughs> to do that work and to enjoy the process of what it feels like to heal internally hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Gabby, were you cynical at the beginning? Of, I mean, something like manifestation, I think is fascinating. And I know you believe that you can get the life you want through manifestation by acting in alignment with the energy of the universe was there a period where you looked at that and thought what nonsense of course you can't you know life is 
the human being is separate to the power of the universe. No, I was brought up thinking like that. My mom brought me in and out of ashrams. I was brought up to meditate. I always leaned spiritual. I had um, psychic experiences as a child, and I knew, I know, and knew then there was more beyond my physical sight. And so it's undeniable for me. And so, no, I never questioned it, no. And for those that are questioning it, how would you like them to start a life of manifestation? You know, is it something that we should do every day? Do we do it in the car? Do, you know, do we set aside time to specifically think about what we what we really want to achieve? And I suppose a question I've always wondered, like, how do we know it's working? So you're asking the question that everybody now wants to hear the answer to, but I'm going to challenge it because I can give you tons of tips right now on like meditations and affirmations and visioning and it all works it all works but it's not sustainable if you don't do the inner work because if you have an inner belief system of lack and then you do all this work around you know convincing yourself that you're worthy and yeah. claiming it and you know affirming it and then you start to get that job great you got the job but you can't keep it if you don't believe in your body and in your subconscious awareness. Go ahead and read any of those other books I've written on manifesting and they all will do inner work with you because that's I'm, I can't just do fluffy shit. It's not what I can do. But if you want to really get to that place of like full-blown super attractor, I can do less, I can attract more, I can have more fun, I can feel more confident, I can just, you know, intuitively know what's right for me and not say yes to everything read happy days go deep so hold our hand then gabby and and, and assume that like as listeners now that we're open to this that you're describing a really attractive life for ourselves a high performance on on our own terms what's the first step that if you were guiding us as well as reading the book what's the first step that you take us to to begin this journey I had to make the commitment to myself, and I would say this to your listener, to make the commitment to themselves that the same amount of energy and conviction that they put into their career or their sport or whatever they are achieving, that they put into their self. <laughs> Imagine all the energy that we could be redirecting. And what form should that take? Well, it's different for everybody, right? Like some people are going to resonate with me and be like, I want to go pick up her book. And some people are like, that girl ain't for me, but she said something about somatic experiencing. I'm going to go look at that. You know, or I really like Damien and I'm going to see about his coaching. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're going to be led intuitively once they open that door. So it all starts out with the willingness to look inward. But then there was a brilliant exercise in the book that I liked, for example, where, uh, where you describe it as the rage on the page, hmm. which was a good one. So what I'm looking for. Uh, is what specific exercises like that <laughs> that uh, would you advocate can have a huge impact on people? I just prescribed 30 days of rage on the page to Fern Cotton today. <laughs> well, well, major... well, explain that for any of our listeners. What is it? Well, uh, so in the book, I have a whole chapter that talks about how, it talks about the work of Dr. John Sarno. And he wrote the book Healing Back Pain and the Mind Body Prescription. And his work was so profound to me because I suffered for many years with gastrointestinal issues. And when I came to Sarno's work, it served me so much because it helped me recognize the psychosomatic condition I was having. 
that all of my anxiety, all of my repressed rage, all of my repressed shame, grief from the traumatic events of my history were manifesting in stress, anxiety, overworking, and then as a result, really affecting my physical condition. In my, in, for, for me, it was in my gut. For other folks, it's in their back. For other folks, it's in their headaches. It's in their insomnia, whatever. There's fibromyalgia. And so around that time, so I started really getting deep into the Sarno work and I started to apply it with other modalities. And I write about all that in the book. And then at one point, I did a, a podcast with a friend of mine named Nicole Sachs, and she teaches a lot of the Sarno work. And I said, listen, I'm doing a lot better. This is when I was shortly after my postpartum diagnosis. And I was like, I'm starting to sleep a lot better, but I'm still having a lot of jaw tension, like the TMJ. And she said, okay, I want to give you a, a, a Sarno tool that she kind of renamed and she called it journal speak, where you would just write for 20 minutes in your journal, just get everything that you need to get out onto the page, and then do 20 minutes of meditation. And so I'm an experimenter, right? And I'm like a real spirit junkie. So I was like, let me let me go deeper into this and see what I could do with it. So I started doing it, but I added in an element. I added in the binaural music, which I reference in this book as well. So binaural Music is like uh, EMDR music, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, but it's for EMDR, meaning that it stimulates both sides of the brain. So it's music that sort of like rings in the right ear and then rings in the left ear and then rings and it's but it's still meditation music. And I brought that in because when you when you have bi bilateral stimulation, while feeling into some or you know expressing onto the page something that's disturbing you, you're having a greater window of tolerance in your brain to reprocess that experience or that feeling. So I would listen to that meditate that music for 20 minutes while I ra while I raged on the page, which is why I named it Rage on the Page. And I would just get out all the shit that was up for me in that moment. And then when I was done with my 20 minutes of Rage on the Page, I would keep the same music going and I would meditate for 20 minutes. And it was a different style of meditation. I would lie down, I'd put my right hand on my heart, my left hand on my belly. This is a heart hold, which is a real um, beautiful hold for safety, for feeling safe. And I would close my eyes and I would just, just be in a meditative sleep. And all throughout that process, and not, not, I still do it every day. So in that process, I was just reprocessing, which means sort of reorganizing and redoing the feeling that I wasn't wanting to have. And so I'd come out of that and I'd feel so fresh, so new. It's so soothing to my system. And I definitely would recommend that to your audience as a first step. But that also fits, Gabby, with, like, I loved the, um, the description of the four S's mm -hmm. uh, in your work, the idea of being safe, seen, soothed, and secure. And again, I think there's, we have lots of parents, lots of teachers, lots of people that are running teams here that I think this is a really practical understanding of your work that they mm. can take away and apply. So would you tell us a little bit about the four S's and the importance of them? Four S's are not my work. It's my interpretation of that work. So it's the work yeah. of Dr. Dan Siegel, who is a fascinating teacher, but he's came into my life through the through my three-year-old. <laughs> so when I had my son, I was like, I'm going to do this right. And I just went deep into the, all of the therapeutic um, child psychology and all this, the parenting books that I resonated with very deeply. And they were all typically parenting books that were focusing on feelings above all else, 
feelings, the child's feelings, their emotions, and creating a secure, safe, soothed, seen environment for the child. And while I was writing this book, I was reading a lot of Dan Siegel for my kid. But quickly I realized I was actually reading it for myself because so much of this book is about reorganizing how you parent your own inner child. And so I wrote a whole chapter about reparenting yourself, taking those four S's and putting them into practice for ourselves. So asking how, how, can, how do I want to be seen? How can I see myself right now? What can I do to soothe myself? You know, um, how can I create security? And, and really looking into those S's, those S qualities. So give us some examples then of the kind of questions that you were asking yourself to, to answer those four S's. We're all leaders that are listening because if you're an entrepreneur, you're a leader. If you're a parent, you're a leader in some way. And I want to teach some, some methods for the leaders because I run my business with what's called self-led leadership, which I'm trained in internal family systems therapy, which is about connecting to self, the resourced part of you. Even doing the four S's is connecting to self-energy. And so I always make sure that I lead from that place and teach my leaders to lead from that place. I'll get into that. I also practice radical honesty with my team. And I also practice nonviolent communication. So I'd be really happy to hit all of those with you. The four S's, safe, seen, soothed, secure, are designed to, first and foremost, be reflected onto a child. So when your kid's tantruming, really what they're wanting is to be seen. And they're wanting to be soothed. They're needing to be soothed. And they're needing to to help, they need to co-regulate with your adult, resourced, calm, compassionate energy in order to get back to safety. Because as a baby, that little baby, that little kid doesn't have the brain capacity to regulate themselves yet. So they need to co-regulate with mom or dad or whoever the caregiver is. That's not that different from running a team. (laughs) (laughs) because we all have child parts and they get very activated at work. One person I've worked with gets really defensive and that's a very common, you know, you bring anything up and it's just like immediate defense and that defense is a protection, a form of protection, but protecting a child part that doesn't feel good enough. So if I come to that person with that soothing energy and compassion, curiosity, I'm wondering what, why you might have thought that was the move. And I'm really curious. I want to know, you know, what's that about? Or I'm curious to know why you're not working at noon or whatever it is, right? And just coming with that self-energy, that compassionate, secure sense of safety within yourself, not from an activated place, allows the person to lay down their guard to relax their defenses because just like the child in a tantrum that you need to co-regulate with, you can co-regulate with your employees. And so whenever I bring up constructive criticism, it sounds like this. I'm noticing that the team is really feeling out of control and there's a lot of miscommunication and I'm noticing that it could be a little bit clearer the way you deliver the message. And it makes me feel a little nervous because I just don't want to have the team get too out of control because I kind of need them to stay steady. And I need to come up with some systems to really support you and support the team. 
And I think that we can start to implement those systems right now. Let's talk about them. That's using nonviolent communication, self-energy, compassion, a soothing voice. That is one way to say it. And then the other way to say it is, the team's getting really fucked up right now because you're not communicating the message the way I need you to. And so I need you to fucking figure it out because I can't do this and I'm too fucking busy, so get it done, you know? Yeah. Or just even in a nicer tone without the F-bombs, but that energy, right? Yeah. So you guys know the difference. So what I used in that moment was nonviolent communication, self-led energy, and the four S's. Yeah. And it's not just about tone. You have to do the work for yourself. You have to get yourself back to a place where you've soothed yourself first, where you've calmed yourself first, where you've connected compassionately to your child parts. Because, you know, if you come to them all revved up and pissed, you're coming, you're running your business with your 10-year-old self. Because that 10-year-old self is like, nobody else will do it unless I do it, you know? And so I got to make sure they fucking do it, right? <laughs> and the adult resourced self can talk to that child part and say, let's take a breath. Let's be, let's be compassionate towards you. I know you feel so, I'm speaking now to my child parts, you know, I notice you feel really out of control right now. I'm going to like do a meditation with you. Let's do some rage on the page before we talk to the employee. Let's get clear about what you need. Let's write it out. Let's write out the nonviolent communication. I'm noticing. I feel. I need. And here's what's next. Mm-hmm. Let's do this. How about this? Kind of, I say, how about this? You know? And that is a profound way to lead. I think that's really, really interesting and useful advice. And it's amazing how often we feel like to get the best out of people, we have to feel the anger ourselves. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Very rarely is that. Is that a useful emotion for you to feel when you go into a communication with a team like that? I and mean, we have so many, as Damon said, so many teachers listening to this. It's great advice for them for for how they speak to their pupils as well. Yeah. And, you know, I want to, like, send, extend a lot of compassion and love to my former team because I had a very, I did completely, I've re- restructured my whole team in 2020, the pre-pandemic team. I send you so much love and so much compassion, and I'm so sorry for running the business like a 10-year-old. And I was doing the best I could, and thank you for sticking around. And for the new team, I'm just so happy that they walk around praising the shit out of me. You know, they're like, my boss has such clear boundaries. She's so compassionate. She can tell me what she needs. I feel safe with her. You can call up any one of my employees today, and they will say that to you. Can I ask you then, Gabby, why you've had a team at 2020 or in 2020 and now you've got a different team. Why was the team around you was the thing that had to change rather than you being the thing that had to change and taking those previous people on a journey? It's actually the opposite. The team around me had to change because I changed. We attract to us our likeness. We, our wounds attract others' wounds. We attract where we're at. The two of the people on that former team were with me for a decade and they were extraordinarily, profoundly impactful in my business and in my life. But when I started to get to a steadier baseline, I wanted to button shit up more. I wanted to be more forthcoming about my beliefs on racial issues. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to step into, I not wanted to, I was naturally stepping into a different way of being because I was a different person and a lot of that didn't resonate with them anymore Mm. and was it hard to give them the opportunity to come on that journey with you first 
Or were you quite clear that actually for you, it had to be a fresh start? In terms of changing out the team? Yeah. They quit. Because they felt threatened by the new you? They were definitely resentful of some of my own patterns, so I'll own my part. I think that they were resentful of some of my stances on things. I think that they definitely, whether they realize it or not, were not loving how corporate we were becoming because there comes a point where you have to get your shit buttoned up. If you want to do really good work in the world, you got to make sure that you're running your business like a business, not like a bunch of friends. And I think mm. here's the biggest one. I had run my team for, de for decades in a very codependent way. It was all about how I could serve them and not about how they could serve me. And you have to show up for your team. You have to be there to support them. You know, if they're having a crisis, like show up. But I, around that time, made it very clear the energetic shift of I'm not going to hold your hand through your own crisis. I'm not going to give, you know, give you a, a every other day personal day. I'm not, not even really that. It was more just like, I'm not going to energetically be a first responder to your crises. And that boundary is absolutely imperative when you work with others and you, and you lead and mm. even just working with coworkers. Now, Somebody at my company's having a, you know, I've had this over and over. You know, one person was cracking into some memories and I was like, here's a book. Here's a suggestion of a therapist. I understand you and I'm with you and I love you. And I'm so happy that you're doing this work. So just tell us that then, Gabby, because that's a really interesting one, the, uh, the uh, point that you're making, that the nature of the work you do means that you, you're encouraging people to go and explore and dig deep. But how do you protect yourself if that's the right term from the fallout of that what i was defining was the old way with the folks that left they were accustomed to me being constantly co-regulating with them constantly hold you know caring for their every need you know caring for their child parts making sure that they were okay and when i started to redirect and get rid of that codependent behavior because that was an old pattern of like I had to make sure everybody likes me and when I when I really cleaned that up and started to adjust to actually you work for me and I love you but I'm not gonna you know just pick up all the piece I'm not gonna just energetically put it all into you I need I need you to help me out right that energetic shift whether they realize it or not was terrifying to them in many ways, I think our employees can parentify us and we can do a lot of stuff that might activate them because of if we're not steady in our own system and we're not boundaried and we're not calm and we're not in that really good space, we our shit will activate the employee because you're in a parental kind of figure to them. And so the yeah. answer is now I have all the tools and I can be a support system but I do it in a very boundaried way. Because it sounds very much like, you know, the adult-child relationship that it sounds like previously for all the right intentions that you've almost had that adult-parent relationship with your team. And on what you're advocating is that the best teams have that adult-to-adult -adult relationship where you can help each other. Is that... 
Is yes. that an accurate reading? Yes, really self to self, resources to resources. You know, when I say self, adult resourced self is who you bring who you bring to the table at work. And that's why we practice self-led leadership, which is this IFS model. And I'm developing it. I'll write a book about it for you guys. Um, and it, it really emphasizes this um, this showing up to work with your adult resources, not with your child parts. And with, for a team leader, that really means having clear boundaries. That means that you've done the work on yourself. And it's a good reminder, isn't it, Gabby, that um, we have to accept that we're constantly changing and growing and we have to look at the people around us all the time and really think whether they're changing and growing with us. What advice would you give to our listeners for just assessing the team around them and the people in their lives? It doesn't have to be a work team. It can be friendship groups and things just to make sure that the energy is right for them at the time when they need it. Well, I think when it comes to work, often we might work with somebody for many years because they're providing a service and an energetic, you know, connection that's good for that time and then you can grow and when you grow it's often regardless of the energy it's often that the skill set is outgrown because the team needs something new so that's one thing to look at from a business perspective and then from a you know friendship or relationship perspective i think that typically when one person's doing so typically two people meet in relationship in romantic relationship and career when one person's unhealed parts match the other person's unhealed parts and they come together to feel some sense of wholeness. And when one of those people starts to do some inner work and starts to heal some of those wounds, they're no longer a match for that other person. And so that's romantic, that's that's career, that's everything, friendship. And so when they're no longer a match, it starts to feel a lot of resistance. It feels like a distance. It feels there's a, you know, some major shifts. And that's usually a moment when you know it's time to move on. Such good advice. Gabby, we always have a, a quickfire round towards the end of our podcast. Um, and one of the questions we ask often, and people seem to really enjoy it, is the three non-negotiables in your life that, that you really stand by and that the people around you have to buy into. And I think it ties in really nicely with the conversation that we're having now. Um, what would you describe as your three non-negotiables? Sleep, good sleep, authentic truth, live and lead from that self-energy. If you could go back to one moment in your life, what would it be and why? I would go back to the girl who was strung out in her apartment, hungover from the night before. And I would sit with her and hold her. I would tell her, it's all going to be okay. You can know that I'm with you. Thank you for sharing that. And I, I think... um. You know, sometimes, Gabby, we're, we're so tempted to go back to those difficult times because we think it'll be great. I can help provide some reassurance or some healing to a former me. I think before we wrap up this episode, it is important, I think, to share the message with people who might be having a difficult time at the moment that in the future, they will hopefully realise that just because something is hard for us, it doesn't necessarily mean it's bad for us and that there is incredible learning in those in those difficult times. I would say that the tough stuff reveals to us what we can resolve and heal. And that's the greatest form of up-leveling. Nice. The next question, Gabby, on our quickfire round is one podcast or one book that you would recommend to our audience? It can be one of yours, obviously, but if there's something that you've heard, seen or read that really changed things for you, we'd love to hear it. 
Uh, the book would be a um, The Mind-Body Prescription by Dr. Sardo. Nice. And what advice would you give to a teenage Gabby just starting out? I would say to her, keep turning inward. Lovely. And our final question, and this is kind of your one last message really for the listeners to the High Performance Podcast. What would you say is your one golden rule, Gabby, for living a high performance life? Compassionately caring for myself. It's great. Listen, it's been so lovely to sit and chat for, for a good hour about all these things. I think that, um, you know, a lot of people are still on a journey where they think that caring for themselves first is selfish, mm. where they think that talking about difficult traumas or looking back into their past and and being vulnerable is a weakness. And I think that it's time to explain to people that actually vulnerability is a is a strength and a power and to go there you have to be incredibly courageous and that putting yourself first is the absolute opposite of being selfish it's it's totally selfless because it's the best thing to do for the people around us i'd like to actually close then with this this um, reading something do you guys have a moment sure to read something? Yes. So this is the introduction of the book i'm just going to read a few paragraphs because it really speaks to what you just said introduction the truth about this book we're anxious for you gabby said my publisher after reading the first pass of the manuscript. It feels too vulnerable, they continued. You're revealing one difficult moment after the next. You're not showing your true strength. My ability to be this vulnerable is my true strength, I responded. Brilliant. There you go. Well, I hope that it's a conversation that helps people to find that strength, to look inwards, to work on themselves to understand that some of the hard stuff could also in the end be some of the good stuff gabby thank you so much for joining us on the podcast damien jake i think um i think there's some really interesting stuff for our audience in that and i think that it's kind of okay isn't it for us to be a little bit cynical about the areas that gabby specializes in because i think that it's i kind of think by by being cynical, you ask the questions that the people listening to this podcast will be asking. And hopefully, therefore, the people listening to this podcast will get the answers that they want. Yeah. And again, I think we've had a few guests like this where we've come at it uh, with that sort of jaundiced mindset of, being, of, um, of questioning it. I think I'd make the distinction, Jake, like um, when we interviewed Mel Robbins, for example, I, I remember saying to you that I, I describe myself as a cynic and yet I think it's far more effective to be a skeptic a cynic comes at it from the point of view that it's rubbish and i'm going to prove why it's rubbish a skeptic says i'm not sure but i'm open to the possibility of being persuaded otherwise and i think some of the stuff um, left me feeling a little bit uncomfortable or a little bit unsure you know for example i've never referred to some of those setbacks or those bruised experiences in childhood as a trauma but i think it's important that we hear and understand and what Gabby was saying is if we if we call it that it almost removes the power from it that allows us to address it and understand what it taught us and also like it's okay I think to feel uncomfortable with some of the things that Gabby was talking about and some of the stuff definitely is a stretch for me but the whole point of this podcast is that we are we're trying to take people on a journey of exploration. And sometimes it can be so simple to just speak to um, a gold medal winning Olympian or a Premier League winning football manager or a CEO of a billion dollar turnover business and talk about mindset and approach and things. But sometimes a conversation like this, which is a little bit different and 
definitely challenges our audience, but also basically requires them to have two things. A mindset of exploration, because you have to have that if you haven't gone to the places that Gabby goes to, but also a mindset of empathy. How often do we say that opinion doesn't matter? Our opinion might be that we don't see the world the same as Gabby does, but our empathy should be like, well, explore why she feels like that and see what's there for you. I think it's a brilliant point you're making, Jake. And I think, and, and, and I think at the end of it, you know, we've, the, we come out of it feeling really richer for it. And I think it's important that people know that we're learning on this as well, on the job. So we're not, we're not coming into this thinking we've got the answers. We're exploring some of it. And, you know, some of that, um, that idea of the four S's she spoke about, about who doesn't want to be in an environment where you feel safe to speak up, you feel that you've been seen and recognised and acknowledged or sued when you're upset or just feeling secure that you're not going to be uh, made fun of or something like that. I think that's a really important learning for all of us if it helps us frame it to think about whether we're with our children or our families or our colleagues. That then means that we walk away from this interview with something useful and that's what I'm taking from it. Me too. What do we say? Always ask a question of everyone you meet because everyone knows something you don't. And Gabby certainly knows an awful lot. So it was a pleasure to welcome her. Cheers, Damien. Yeah, no, thanks, Jake. I think if Oprah Winfrey describes her as a a, um, guru for the next generation, I think we're in good company. Now comes the part of the show where we get to speak to someone who has listened to high performance and they tell us how and why it's impacted their life. But we're joined by someone today that hasn't just listened and been impacted by high performance. They've taken the impact and the learning and are spreading it out to thousands and thousands of people. Stephen Logan is a dad, but he's also a school leader and he works with National Careers Week. And for the very first time, we've created a National Careers Week package for people to access. So if you're a teacher, you can get it for free. You can empower positive change through careers education using the conversations on high performance with the National Careers Week. Um, And let's find out what the reaction's been like. And let's kind of unpick how this has all come about because Stephen's with us now. Nice to have you with us, Stephen. Yeah, thank, thanks, Damien and Jake. Um, just a great opportunity, really, to, I suppose, as a school leader, we've been we've been um, leading through some very, very challenging times. And I suppose as an individual, the podcast has impacted on me as a person, as a leader, to be able for me to really to, you know, have, effectively do my role. But it came to me on um, a run, which I like to do as part of my routine and habit. I just thought, well, some of these key messages, what about young people? Because we need some positivity, we need we need opportunity for them, and some of the key messages on the podcast are, are incredible, are inspirational. And I thought, how could we? And, and you talked about it as well, where schools are involved, and you've been constantly asked. And I thought maybe we could help you with that. So that's how we kind of I got in contact with Hannah, who's amazing, by the way. Um, and we just we just obviously it went from there. And how's the reaction been? Uh, the reaction's been incredible. I know it's it's been downloaded a number of times, and um, there's lots and lots of shares on social media. So it's, it's National Careers Week this week, so please get involved and, and, and use the hashtag NCW2022 to really empower, inspire and engage young people. And that's what, what we've done with, with the High Performance Podcast. We've put together a series of um, resources um, to help young people and um, to, to inspire them. And really, you know, you know your young people, you know the, the, the young people you're working with in a school or a, or a college or a university. Um, or whatever setting, you know, education happens, you know, parents as well. 
just you use it it's there to be used it's there to be downloaded and it's not about us because the theme in national careers week and i'm sure the values of the high performance podcast it's about you as an individual and empowering people to to make that change and to go and chase their own high performance so is there one particular message if, if you could distill just one message from all of the guests that you've listened to Stephen, which one would you want to pass on to the next generation i think the one that really resonates for me is rick lewis Rick Lewis, just an incredible episode. Please, please check it out because he talks about a lot of people default to just looking rather than doing. And that whole concept of, am I just scrolling or am I, am I creating, am I helping someone? I'm going to mention one other because it, it's a, it, maybe it's the Irish in me, but Paul McGinley and that whole landscape of success and, um, the importance of team and, behind the high performance podcast behind the national careers week there's a team of people who are high performance so how can we all team up to help young people and inspire them through this great content so i suppose there's two that i've mentioned there but but honestly that is such a difficult question because there is inspiration in every aspect of those those podcasts that are out there why do you think then it's had such an impact in the teaching profession because we get messages on Instagram from Premier League footballers saying, this is getting passed around in the dressing room and everyone loves it. The next message would be from a teacher saying, this is getting passed around in the staff room and everybody loves it. There seems to be a real parallel between elite sport and teaching when it comes to our podcast. I think it resonates because it's current. I think it's relevant. I think also as well that it's actually, there's this misconception that high performance is absolutely flog yourself to guts and, you know, it's about working hard all of the time. When you when you listen to the podcast, it's actually not about that. It's about balance. It's about finding your passion. It's about sharing their career journeys. And another common misconception is that high performance equals success all of the time. And actually, it's about celebrating failure. And I think it's important we pass that message on to young people because having the courage to put yourself out there, to you know, to to to, to go at something, to to go all in, and to possibly fail is okay. It's a really good point. I, you know, I love the fact we're having these conversations, Damien, because I'm telling you now, 30 years ago when I was at school, it was do your homework in the way that we've told you in the time period that you've been given, we'll mark it and then off you go again. There was no conversation. I don't know what it was like in your school, Damien, no conversation about mindset, non-negotiables and all the sort of golden stuff that we discuss. No, I, I mean, it often surprises me that uh, I've been out of the education system uh, as a student for over 30 odd years now and the quantum leaps in terms of these conversations just really delight me i think that the, the, i i think sometimes you know like that robin van Persie clip Stephen, that we that went viral of his the conversation with his son and i've reflected for a while on why did that go down so popular with people and i think it's it's the kind of conversation we all wish would have had or somebody would have had with us when we were kids and i think the fact that you and your colleagues and the wider teaching community are actually having that conversation is the bit that I think gives me such optimism for the future and for the next generation. You guys are dealers in hope, as Napoleon said. What a lovely way to end. Dealers in hope. That's a great line. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, totally agree with that. And there's some amazing work that goes on in schools and just really just a final plug, just use it. And it's there to be used. And if you've got an idea, get in touch. We can, we can, we can edit. We can change. We can, we can grow it. And you can use it beyond the week. It's not just about a week. You can use that at any point. So just please, just use it and inspire the young people. Thank you so much, Stephen. And listen, let's just be absolutely frank. It's there. 
It's free, it's engaging, it's compelling, and you can find it by going to thehighperformancepodcast.com forward slash education. And what was the hashtag again on Twitter, Stephen, for people to talk about it and share it? Uh, NCW2022. Brilliant. Look, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Thank you for engaging us and coming to us. And, you know, it's been a really lovely partnership and it's just the very beginning, which is also really exciting. Brilliant. Lovely to speak to Stephen and always great to hear from all of you at home. We've had lots of responses from the Anthony Taylor episode. Uh, Tim said, what a great podcast, a really powerful perspective from the referee. I love the comments around grassroots behaviour. Let's hope it causes some reflection. I listened to the Anthony Taylor podcast this morning. I run a Facebook group called The Close Call, which provides officials with a voice. We've inspired officials from around the globe to identify what the gold standard of officiating is. And whilst our page is predominantly cricket umpires, we've been inundated with requests from referees from around the world. Um, And finally, yesterday, I shared your podcast on Anthony Taylor. You hit the nail on the head where you said officials need a voice, they need a beacon to share best practice, irrespective of what official you are, we can all learn from each other. Um, It was an interesting conversation that day, and I think that the overwhelming response from people is, Anthony Taylor spoke brilliantly, Anthony Taylor had some great answers, Anthony Taylor changed my opinion of refereeing, please let me hear from referees more often. They, it feels to me like they trusted him to come on our podcast, they now have to trust their referees to speak to the media at some point, don't they? Uh, we said it when we were talking to Anthony that just humanising people and giving them a sense that they're just like me and you, they're passionate about the game, they're operating under you know, intense pressure, making split-second decisions. And if we understand that they're humans like us, they make mistakes like we all do, I think it hopefully leads to greater tolerance, whether that's at the elite level that Anthony's operating at or, or like one of the listeners just said there, actually at grassroots level where, like when Anthony said to us about in what walk of life would an adult feel acceptable to shout and abuse a 14, 15, 16-year-old kid that's out there refereeing a game? I, I mean, the thought is is just intolerable to me. So hopefully it does shift the dial a little bit in terms of making people reflect on how we view our officials because there's no game without them. There's no sport that can take place unless we have people willing to step up and do their job. Fully agree. Absolutely. Um, nice message from Joanne Hurd as well. Thanks to everyone that came to uh, see us, by the way, on the High Performance Tour. We just wrapped up the tour at the uh, O2 Indigo a few days ago. Um, and Joanne said, in order of what I took away from your live show, first of all, the acknowledgement of the situation in Ukraine. Second, sitting behind your families and seeing their pride. Thirdly, your, the generosity in offering high performance lessons to us all. Number four, she took away the reflections that would help her. But the final one, she said, the buzz I got from being able to, to start to share the reflections with my team. And that's the key thing, Damien. It's all very well us standing in a theatre talking to a couple of thousand people. But it's when those couple of thousand people each speak to six or seven individuals. That's when the impact of the lessons on high performance get really interesting, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I sent out a message today that said, if we work alone, we can achieve relatively little. But working together, we can achieve so much. It's a quote from Helen Keller. And I think just the ripple effects of being in a community of people that want to embrace these lessons, lift each other up and encourage each other is really empowering for all of us. So, yeah, thank you, Joanne. And thank you to everyone that came and invested the time to to listen and pass it on.
And finally, a message from Blows on Instagram who says, I haven't commented before, but today I feel I have to. I realised earlier whilst talking to my 10-year-old son that I was quoting things I'd heard on the High Performance Podcast. Not only that, but over the last 12 to 18 months, my own behaviour has changed. Nothing spectacular, just that I've been trying to be a better role model to my children and give them better signposts for their futures. I'm an ex-serving soldier of 22 years. You can maybe imagine how difficult change can be for me. So thanks for your podcast and your dedication. You're helping people all over the world. I'm in Germany. I myself am trying every day to be the best version of me. Keep up the good work. What a nice way to finish. And thank you all so much for continuing to trust us on the High Performance Podcast to bring you lessons that are going to make a big difference in your life. We've got um, an exciting guest joining us on next week's episode. I'll tell you what, I think, why don't we just leave you with a small snippet of what you can expect next week on the High Performance Podcast. Have a listen to this. I, I learned a lot and of course and I had you know, good people around me to tell me how to do better and I had to put in the effort to become a better driver. It wasn't like it just came completely naturally to me. Um, definitely certain elements were natural and I think if you want to be one of the best you've got to have some knack for it where you can just jump in and, and be pretty good. But then especially to be in Formula One you've got to it's that next level, you know, what brings you those final hundreds and that final tenth and stuff. Um, and there are hundreds of thousands of people who can drive a car well, you know, and you probably could jump in a car and do a pretty good job straight away. But then it's that, those final few little little things. That that final bit is down to the d- determination of, of the driver, how much effort he's willing to put in, the sacrifices he wants to make from such a young age. Oh, amazing. That's Lando Norris, the... McLaren Formula One driver talking in a way that you won't have heard before. So if you want to hear that, um, I suggest you subscribe right now. It makes a real difference for us if you can hit the subscribe button or you can leave the podcast a review or a rating. That makes a big difference as well because we just simply do this because of the impact it has on your life. Please remember, there is no secret, people. It's all there for you. Be your own biggest cheerleader. Make world-class basics your calling card and remember you deserve them. We'll see you next time. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.